Chapter 5 Dead End Business was picking up in Joe Hummer's tavern. Crail was still at the bar, occupying the same stool he'd been sitting on when Tracy left a couple of hours ago. Hi, Tracy, Crail said. How's about another cup of coffee? Are you on the wagon again? Joe came back from waiting on one of the tables. Hello, Tracy. Have something on Crail? He's got the zipper open on his weasel sack. Tracy shook his head. Just want to use your phone, Joe. Got a friend waiting for me outside. Bring him in, suggested Crail. He and Joe turned their heads to look out through the glass at Tracy's car. What the heck, Tracy? Crail said. That's... Name no names, Tracy interrupted. He's bashful. He'd rather stay out there. He took his notebook out of his vest pocket and flipped through it to find the number he intended to call, then walked back to the telephone before Crail could ask any more questions. It was a local toll call to the sheriff of an outlying village, 20 miles from town, a man who was a good friend of Tracy's. The detective pitched his voice low so Crail would not hear the number or the message. Hey, Tracy! called Crail as the detective replaced the receiver and started for the door. Let us in on it. What's up? Read about in the Sentinel, Tracy told him and went on out and got back in the car. He'd driven quite some distance when suddenly Widmer looked around and narrowed suspicious eyes. What the devil? he demanded. This isn't the way to the station. That's right. Guess I must be a bit lost. Well, we'll keep on and maybe we'll get to it. He swung the car into an arterial that led out of the city. Listen, copper, there's a name for this. Kidnapping. Anyway, what's it all about? Save your breath for answering questions when I ask them. You'll lose your job for this, Tracy Al. Don't make me laugh. Unless I pull a rabbit out of a hat, I haven't got any job to lose. This is my last night and I aim to have fun. Well, you can still hide behind a badge, huh? Well, listen, if you retire tomorrow, you better pick a nice, quiet island about 4,000 miles from... Oh, shut up. He drove on in silence, out past the last diminishing buildings of the city's outskirts. Ten miles out, he swung the car into a side road, from it to a dirt road, looked as though it led to nowhere. A mile up the dirt road, he stopped. End of the line, he said. Get out. If you think you can get away with... Tracy put the heel of his palm in Widmer's face and pushed hard. Gangster's head hit against the glass of the door with a thud. With his other hand, Tracy reached across and yanked down the handle of the door. Widmer tumbled out of the car, barely managing to stay on his feet. He recovered his balance while Tracy was climbing out after him and started a swing at the detective's face. Tracy caught the blow on his left forearm and then jumped down off the running board, adding the momentum of his descent to a short, vicious right-hander that caught Widmer in the chest and sent him backward. He stumbled in the shallow stitch and fell. And now, said Tracy, I'm not hiding behind any badge. This is strictly unofficial. He took the badge off the underside of his coat lapel and tossed it behind him onto the seat of the car. He took his automatic out of the holster and put it with the badge. Try running, and I'll pick up that gun again and shoot your legs from under. Otherwise, it's even. Now get up. Hank Widmer didn't. He gave vent to his feelings and some scorching remarks, but he didn't seem disposed to take advantage of Tracy's being without his badge and gun. Tracy grinned. Don't get up, then. The Marquis of Queensbury isn't around here anyway, so he won't know if I kick your teeth out. If you want to talk now instead of later, that's okay, too. I'll give you three chances. One, two, three. What do you want to know, blast you? That's better. Where's Carl Lambert? Where's... Are you crazy? You're supposed to answer questions, not ask them. In case you didn't understand, we'll start over on those three chances. I asked you, where's Carl Lambert? One, two... I don't know. Good glory, Tracy. I never saw the guy. I never heard him until I read he had escaped. Widmer, obviously cowed, was sitting up now, drawn back as far as he could against the fence at the roadside. He seemed to see that his only chance to avoid a beating was to talk, and once he started, he talked fast. 
Listen, Tracy, I've been in town only a year, so I didn't know about the Lambert case when he was sent up. I mean, put in. What the devil makes you think I know anything about a homicidal? There you go again. All right, you answer it yourself. You know I have a reason for tying you up with Lambert. You tell me what it could be. There isn't any reason, Tracy. I don't know how. Tracy stepped closer and said, One, how do you like the way I look with a cast on my nose? Funny? Well, you look funnier with one of these and your front teeth out. Two, three, wait, you mean Mrs. Scarlatti? I might. What about Mrs. Scarlatti? Oh, all right, all right. I'll start at the beginning, but it's a mare's nest. It was this guy Lambert killed them, all right. Was it? Sure, you must have found out I talked to the Scarlatti dame and jumped at the idea there was something fishy. Why, it's something the same idea, but, well, it wouldn't wash. I thought I'd been seeing the boogeyman. Just what was this idea? You know well enough what I'm talking about. Forget what I know. You tell me. Well, it just seemed fishy that out of a whole city full of people, Buck Miller was the one who got bumped by Hami on the loose. It, well, it was a coincidence, that's all, but I wanted to make sure. How about Randall? Who? H.J. Randall. Oh, yeah, the grocer. No, there wasn't any tie up there. That's probably what made decide the Hami angle was on the up and up. Tracy looked at him closely. That and what else? Oh, all of it. Your story, the way the papers gave it, and Krells and Hummers, and, well, it all added up. It couldn't have been anything but the loose nut, could it? You know, Hummer both got a good look at him. Wasn't it this Lambert? Tracy ignored the question. You thought it might not be. Who did you think might have killed Buck Miller? You knew him pretty well, didn't you? Yeah, Buck Miller and me, well, I guess it was the closest friend. We worked together on, on whatever we worked on. Tracy grinned. You mean on carrying out whatever orders the boss gave you? We'll skip that, but did anyone have any reason for wanting Buck out of the way? No. Widmer shook his head, then hesitated. Well, I've gone this far, I might as well say there might have been a reason I didn't know about. I had a hunch for the last couple weeks that Buck was holding out something on me, and he had a new dame. What's her name? Merlin Breeze, a pony at the trock, but she wouldn't have anything to do with it, Tracy. All I meant about her was that she was costing plenty dough, and he had it. That isn't schooling because, well, what the heck, he's dead. You mean you think he had more money the last couple of weeks than he should have had from sources you know about? That's it. I don't know where he got it and it don't matter now. But then when he got killed, well, it was silly, I guess, but I thought maybe... So you turned detective and conducted an investigation on your own. Could Donnie know about your little idea? Uh-uh. And listen, if it gets out about me talking to Mrs. S, I'm going to have to do some talk explaining to the boss. He'll want to know why I didn't come to him with it. And why didn't you? Well, look, Tracy, you got some idea what things are all about. Suppose Buck across the boss. Suppose it wasn't this Lambert bumped him. Who would be the next most likely guy? Would the boss like to have me doing any guessing out loud? I ask you. Tracy thought it over a minute. It was disappointing. He'd hoped for more, something that would give him a definite lead. But what Hank Widmer had just told him made sense and it rang true. Apparently, he and Hank had had the same idea. It led Hank to a brick wall and Tracy didn't see how he was going to get over that wall himself. If Carl Lambert really had killed the gangster in the grocery, then that was that. Cursed and all, he didn't have any real reason to think anything else had happened. But that had been over 24 hours ago. Why hadn't the homicidal maniac struck again? According to his case history, he would not be sitting quietly in hiding, waiting for them to catch him. He was an extreme case, obsessed with an insatiable urge to slash people with a knife. And he had a knife now. Why wasn't he using it? Or did he have a knife? Had he ever had one that is since his escape? Or had he escaped? Nuts, thought Tracy. Pretty soon I'll be wondering if there ever was such a guy and if I really tried to buy him a drink. Woodmer's voice cut into his thoughts. Honest, Tracy, it's all I can tell you. The whole story. 
Now what the devil can I tell Kadoni about what you wanted with me? That won't spill to him that I wrong hunch that might not so, set so well with him. Tell him anything. Maybe by tomorrow you won't have to tell him anything. I, nah, skip it. What was that notebook you handed Kadoni? Woodburn's voice sounded weary. What notebook? Tracy took his own notebook from his pocket, the one he had carried for a long time to jot down addresses. One, one like this, almost exactly like it. That refresh your memory, do I have to get tough again? Oh, that, yeah, that couldn't have anything to do with this other business, just routine. List of addresses, you can guess what for without my drawing a diagram. You mean a list of the taverns that buy Alki. Whiskey. If you can call it that, if you had that list, it means you were handling either deliveries or collections, you and Buck, if he worked with you, which? Listen, Tracy, haven't I sung enough? Since when are you going in for revenue work? The devil with the revenue work for now. Why'd you think I brought you out here instead of taking you in where a shorthand to be taking down what you said? All I'm interested in right now is murder. Anything else is off the record anyway. It'd be your word against mine, whether you said it or not. But what's this stuff got to do with murder? Let me judge that. Which were you and Buck handling? Deliveries or collections? Okay, but it's off the record. 50-50. We collected for whatever we delivered. That's why I don't see how Buck could have been chiseling, not without being caught. Maybe he was caught. Widmer stood up and was leaning against the fence now. Oh, Tracy, there's nothing in it. I tell you I had the same idea, but it won't wash. Assume he was chiseling. Even I can't see how. Give him anything you want to name all the reason you want to give him for rubbing him out. It still truly got bumped off by a maniac. The nut was there, wasn't he? You ought to know. He swipes a knife from Joe's kitchen and runs out the back way and stabs the first couple guys he comes across. What else can you make of it? Tracy grunted. Shut up or you'll have me believing it. Don't you? I don't want to. Get in the car. Might be wrong, but I think you leveled with me. Okay, but listen, what am I going to tell the boss of why you picked on me? Without admitting about me having the wild idea I had and see Mrs. Scarlatti. Tracy slid his automatic back into its holster and put the badge back on before he slid it under the wheel. You're going to have time to figure that out before you see him again. I get fixed up for board and room till tomorrow afternoon. I want to find out what Cadoni does if he gets worried about you. Huh, you can't. It's strictly legal. He's a sheriff, see? There's nothing illegal if he finds you on the street in his town about arresting you as a vague, is there? I don't think you'll have any explanation you'll believe about how you got there. But Tracy! And of course, you won't have any money or identification on you when you get out of the car, Tracy grinned. But don't let that worry you, pal. I'll mail them back to you sometime tomorrow. Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audio Cast. In this week's episode, we have part three, the conclusion of Double Murder by John S. Endicott. This story originally appeared in the November 1942 issue of Thrilling Detective. It is also included in our collection, Thrilling Pulp Detective Tales, Volume 1. The book is available at Amazon or directly from us at brickpicklemedia.com books. And that link is also in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2019. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. And with that, on with the show. Chapter 6, Death Waits in Darkness Warily, Tracy dropped himself on the stool by the hamburger stand counter. Hi, Pete, he said to the tow-headed kid back of the counter. Put a couple on. With. And coffee. Sure, Mr. Tracy, said the kid. And then hesitantly, I read about the Carl Lambert case. Sure, tough luck, Mr. Tracy. Has anything more happened since then? Tracy shook his head tiredly. Had what I thought was a lead, but it petered out on me. He stirred sugar into his coffee, took a sip, and it made him feel a little better. But not much. He was getting sleepy, and his nose and his head hurt, and he wished he could go home and go to sleep. 
It would not be so bad, he thought disgustedly, trying to solve a case if he could feel sure there was a case to solve. But in all probability, there wasn't. Carl Lambert had committed the two motiveless murders and lambed out across country and for reasons of his own had not killed anybody else yet. Or maybe been hit by a truck and not yet identified or something. Or maybe... Nuts. He had made him, maybe himself in circles until he was dizzy. He had undoubtedly increased the jam he was in at headquarters of making an arrest after Cap Burton had told him he was suspended, even though the captain had not taken his gun and badge along, and then not showing up with the man he had arrested. He wondered if Codoni's lawyer was still waiting at the station. Pete, he said, murder is a funny thing. If you haven't the faintest idea what you're doing, you can always go around throwing monkey wrenches and maybe you can get somebody worried. Yeah, how? Murder isn't a guinea pig, said Tracy. It has pups or piglets or whatever you'd call it. A guy commits a murder and then he finds that he had to kill somebody else to cover up. Maybe the second guy might be a grocer. Then if he can keep it rolling, he'd think, whether he's right or not, that he has to kill another guy to keep it quiet. Maybe a detective. Gee, you mean you think that? No, but I wish I had. The door opened and Tracy looked around as two men came in. Hello, boys, he said. Anything new on shortwave about Lambert? Uh-uh. The foremost of the two men shook his head. But listen, Tracy, there's a broadcast out about you. We saw your car outside. Cap says you're supposed to be suspended, that you pulled an arrest at the Green Dragon and then never showed up with the guy. A lawyer waited there a long time. Yeah, that's why I didn't bring him in. I just wanted to talk to him. Got orders to bring me in, Harry, or what? Harry Lane looked uncomfortable. Well, suppose you call up the station from here, Tracy. See what the Cap says. I don't want to. Okay, anything you say. Tracy crossed over to the phone and talked into it for a while. His lips were a bit tight as he came back, and before he sat down again to finish his sandwiches, he took off his badge and handed it with his gun to the squad car men. It's okay, he told them. You don't have to take me in, but the cats seem to think I'd better not run around with these until after the hearing tomorrow morning anyway. Gee, Tracy, that's tough luck. I'm sorry. It's all right, Harry. Skip it. While he munched the hamburgers, Tracy heard the squad car start up and drive away. He didn't say anything more to the tow-headed kid behind the counter, and the kid had wisdom enough to keep his own mouth shut. When Tracy got back behind the wheel of his own car, he sat there and thought a while while he unlaced the empty shoulder holster, which, without a gun, made him feel strange and lopsided. He knew he was licked, but darned if he was going to admit it in spite of how tired he felt. He had gambled on practically kidnapping Hank Widmer, partly to see what Clodone's reaction would be. Well, Widmer had, in a way, disappointed him by telling what seemed to be a straight story. So it looked like he had been barking up the wrong tree, but he was going back to the Green Dragon anyway. He was going back without a gun, without authority, but Codoni wouldn't know that. He drove slowly, trying to think out some course of action that might force... Blast it! Was he still hunting in the dark for a black cat that wasn't there? Well, what if he was? He hadn't anything much to lose now, and he had the rest of the night to keep on groping. The familiar streets grew more familiar, and he saw that his road across town was taking him within a block of his own place. Well, he might as well take advantage of that to leave the billfold he'd taken from Widmer in a safe place. There had quite a bit of money in that wall, and he would rather not carry it around till he had a chance to mail it. And a bid of cold water on the accessible portions of his face ought to help wake him up and make his mind work again. A shower? No, he better not take time for that. It was getting pretty late. If only his nose would stop throbbing. He swung in the car into the curb and climbed out. He told himself he had better hurry, but his steps at the staircase were slow and lagging. He fumbled the key, had a lot of trouble getting the keyhole in the dark, so much trouble that he lit a match and held it in his left hand while he put the key and turned it with his right. The tiny flame was dying as the door swung open toward him, but it showed him the shadowy, undefined bulk of the man standing there just inside the door. And it caught the gleam of the knife that slashed out toward Tracy's stomach, a kitchen knife. It was that gleam of dim flame on dull metal that saved him. Tracy still had hold of the door with his right hand, and he slammed it inwards so the edge of it struck the arm, snaking forward with the knife. The impact slowed and deflected the blow, and as the door bounced back, Tracy grabbed into the darkness and caught the arm of his attacker. 
He threw his weight through the now open doorway, bearing his assailant back even as he felt the arm he had tried to twist about for a stabbing blow into his side. He had his cheek against his opponent's chest and there were blows raining against his head and neck. Painful blows, but not dangerous. In the reeling darkness and the close quarters, the man he struggled with could not have aim or leverage for a rabbit punch that might have ended the fight. As he staggered forward, not daring to step back, Tracy slid his left hand down until it closed around the wrist of the knife hand. Then, risking letting go with his own right hand, he bent lower and caught his right arm around the back of the knees of the man he fought and threw his own weight forward, butting with his head. There was a moment when they were both off balance and a heavy crash and Tracy fell on top. The knife clattered against the floor. Tracy felt the man under him struggling to rise, but instead of swinging a random blow into the darkness, Tracy stuck out his hand until it felt a face. He pushed the face backward hard and suddenly, and there was a thud against the floor. The man under him went limp. Tracy straightened up slowly and struck a match. I'll be, he said as it flared. The man who tried to kill him was Joe Hummer, the barkeeper. It was some time before Hummer regained consciousness, and when he did, he was in no position to fight or to wield a knife. Tracy had seen to that, nor was the barkeeper inclined to answer questions. Like sin, I'll talk, he growled to Tracy's repeated demands. Why should I? So you can prove I tried to kill you? And that's bad enough. Why should I stick my neck? Shut up, said Tracy. I'm telling you why. But first, I'm going to finish telling you what happened. When I came into the saloon last night with an escaped homicidal maniac in tow, you recognized him, or guessed who he was from the descriptions, or maybe his picture in the newspaper. And you suddenly saw you could get away with killing a guy you had to kill, Buck Miller. Nuts. And if you did guess right. I said to shut up, said Tracy. He gestured with the old service revolver he had dug up out of a trunk while Joe Hummer was still unconscious and Joe sank back into the chair. The reason the feds hadn't closed on the Cleone bunch was they didn't know where the accounts and collections were handled. Cleone never had any records. They had searched unofficially. You were the dark horse of the gang and probably next to Cleone himself in power. We'll find out about all that when we search your place, won't we, Joe? All right, you've been dragging down on the boss and Buck Miller found it out and cut himself in on the deal for extra cash. And he started bleeding you worse and you wanted a way to kill him. If you could do it in a way that not even Kildoni, let alone the cops, would know he was murdered at all. Nobody figures a killing by a maniac is a murder, the ordinary way. Joe sighed. Tracy, do I have to listen to all this hogwash? If I'm under arrest, go ahead and take me in. You're not under arrest. I'm not even a cop anymore. Listen. Buck Miller was in the party of building behind the kitchen waiting to see you. You saw your chance in Carl Lambert. When you took him back to feed him, you stepped out a minute to see whether you could go for a knife. You wanted to be sure who he was. Then you captured him. You went on back and stalled Buck Miller, walked with him out into the alley, and stabbed him with the knife Lambert had tried to swipe. This poor grocer, Randall, is going or coming the back way, and he'd have been a witness. You stabbed him, too. That was oddly good. Two killings look more like a homicidal maniac than one. You were back in the tavern within ten minutes. You figured I was too interested in my drinks to know you'd been gone even that long. Tracy grinned. The funny part is that I never guessed. I was just messing around the night at random, trying to start something in some way. You got the idea that I was getting on, and you'd better get out of the road. But you came here to kill me, and then you'd have let Lambert go and let him get caught somewhere and take the rap for all three killings, besides any he might do on his own hook. But what made you think? Hey, I know. You knew I had Hank Widmer out in my car when I stopped back, and... Tracy laughed out loud and slapped his knee with the hand that didn't hold the revolver. You saw that notebook of mine I got a phone number out of, and you thought it was Widmer's, and then I knew about your connection with the gang. Well, either pick up that pen and start writing, or we're on our way. Joe Hummer stood up. Let's get going, then. Okay, Joe, but not to headquarters. I told you I'm not a cop anymore. We're looking up Cadoni, and I'm turning over to him with the news that you killed Buck Miller, and have been chiseling on him. I'll tell him to go to your place and search there, and, well, he won't need a confession like the cops would, would he? You're kidding, Tracy. He, he, you want to do that? Tracy's eyes over the bandage across the middle of his face looked to be the color and hardness of ball bearings. Joe Hummer sat back slowly and gingerly in the chair and reached for the pen and paper on the table beside him. 
Gray light of dawn paled the yellow ore of the lamp on Captain Burton's desk. Tracy slumped warily in the visitor's chair in front of that desk and talked as though each word cost him an effort. Yeah, so I went around and I got Carl Lambert too, so I could bring them both in while I was at it. But you see, he didn't commit the murders at all. He was tied up in the empty building next to Joe's. And like I told you, Hank Widmer's in the clink at Shelbyville. We can send for him there. I think that confession, and what else we'll find at Joe's, will give us enough to break up the whole gang. I'd have gone around and brought Cadonian, but... Captain Burton snorted. But you thought you might want to help round up the rest of the gang? Tracy must have been too tired to recognize the sarcasm. Well, there's no hurry, he said defensively. They don't know we want him, or that Joe's confession there tied up the gang with those old kilns, including Molinar's. They don't know we got Joe, and they'll be easy to pick up. Captain Burton grinned and winked at the stenographer at the side of his desk, who was taking notes of everything. I guess the rest of the force can manage to take over from here, Tracy. Unless you really want. I can, Cap, but I really ought to get a couple hours nap before that hearing at ten. Hearing? What hearing? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I don't think you need to worry about attending that, Tracy. I haven't quite the authority to squash it myself, but I can promise you the inspector will. And listen, you look really done in. I've got authority to give you another week's leave. You better go home and sleep a couple days straight, and then, then maybe you ought to go out and get plastered to celebrate. Tracy stood up. Thanks, Cap, he said, and stuck out his hand. But if it's the same to you, I'll go fishing. Good night. Captain Burton watched Tracy's broad shoulders weave down the hallway, as erratically as the liquor instead of lack of sleep and physical weariness were swaying him. If we had more men like that on the force, he said to the stenographer, we wouldn't need a force. The stenographer looked at him. That doesn't quite make sense, sir. No, said the captain, grinning. It doesn't, does it? And that is all for today's episode of the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. Thanks for listening this week, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2019.